Hello everyone, welcome to A2I Dyslexia podcast. My name's Elizabeth Tetchy, the CEO and founder of A2I Dyslexia. Today's topic is dyslexia and self-confidence and self-esteem. I'd like to introduce Gavin Mensakoka, who is lecturer in English language, Deputy Race Equality Director and a student wellbeing advocate. Now I'm severely dyslexic and this is part of the area that I really struggle with sometimes. We've been doing these podcasts for couple of years now and I come across really confident in our podcast but if I have to be face to face for example reading a document my confidence just gets shattered completely and I think today's topic is really really close to my heart and it's it's going to be a very interesting conversation. We have been funded by Awards for All London Community Fund and we're really grateful for this funding that we've received to support the dyslexic community in so many different areas. There are 10 topics that we're covering, and today's one is about dyslexia, confidence, and self-esteem. Gavin, welcome to HY Dyslexia Podcast. Hello there. Uh, Very, very happy to be here. Thank you very much for inviting me. Yes, I'm I'm very happy to be here and speak about a topic which is very close to my heart. I work at Sussex University. My main job is really around um, supporting students in their academic writing skills, presentation skills, communication skills. That's both our home students, UK students, particularly on our foundation year, and also um, some of our international students as well. Our foundation year is uh, quite a unique foundation year in the country. It's, It's more than an access course, but it really gives an opportunity for particularly students from communities who have been less likely in the past to go to university. So it's part of our widening participation program. And as a result, we do have a higher proportion of black and minority ethnic um, students on the foundation year. And also a particularly um, significant number of students with specific learning differences. And also students from poorer um, socioeconomic backgrounds based by um, postcode and noticeable proportion of students who come from a care background so it's it's a privilege to work on on that course and, and my job is is as I say to to support them in their academic skills I've been working in education for the last nine years in higher education since 2016 although I haven't always worked in that but I have had a long-standing interest when working many many years ago in, in think tanks on issues around disability inclusion in education, educational exclusion, and issues around race, and also issues around LGBTQ performance within these areas. So this is this is an area that, that I've, I've been interested in for a while, but most recently in the last couple of years, I've been particularly interested in areas of dyslexia and specific learning differences. And I'm really interested to see whether on our particular courses in my institution there is uh, what I would call a hidden awarding gap for those students who have dyslexia or co-occurring difficulties. But I think even more important, the issue around BAME students, and we can debate that term, but for the moment I'll I'll just use that, with specific learning differences and, and issues around when those students are diagnosed when they therefore get support 
and if the systems that we have in place at the moment are not sufficient to support those students in terms of diagnosis and other other help so that's kind of my 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 passion at the moment and um and as i say i'm really happy that pleased that you've um, asked me to join you today wonderful thank you now it's funny how you said bame and then you said we could talk about that at some point um i've actually highlighted it on my sheet here because i wanted to kind of get the understanding is it where you support bame or you support black and minority because we do know that you know there is a difference in the two can i use the word bame or should i just say black and minority during this podcast um i mean i tend to use a range of phrases so i also use students of color I will refer to black and brown students. I, at the moment, am less hung up about the terminology. Mm -hmm. Um, I think sometimes our focus on that terminology can prevent action. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, And and we know that within that BAME categorization, certainly in my field in education, we know that there are some clear differences in terms of performance. And so you might then talk about black Caribbean students perhaps not doing so well, Bangladeshi students perhaps not doing so well, students from the traveller community not doing so well. But as I say, I, I'm I'm more interested in just looking at the, the, the structural issues that all students face in terms of racism and how that impacts on people's progress. Because you might do very, very well, um, you know, if, if you're from a particular community, but you will also have had um, barriers uh, put in place, and I think that is clearly the case with our students who have specific learning differences. So I'm I'm quite easy about what terminology yeah. you want to use. I think I'll go with Bain because that's what we've got in your in, um, in your biography. So we'll, we'll go with with, with Bain. So Gavin, I'm going to dive straight into my first question here. What does confidence and self esteem mean to you? I mean, I know you've been sort of supporting dyslexic people and I came to one of your sessions and you gave a wonderful example of where you were um, supporting one particular student from one level to a very high confidence in the way he was learning. And then there was a, a video that you exhibited at that particular event and it really did blow me away. I just wondered if you could talk a little bit about what some of the uh, things you've seen were supporting someone with dyslexia or specific learning. I know, for example, before I went to uni, my confidence was literally zero. People wouldn't see me and believe that, but it was. And then until I got the support I needed at university, and I, I met one amazing one-to-one support teacher who really believed in me. And my confidence just went straight through to the ceiling and I did excel and I did finish university. So what does it mean? What does, what does confidence mean? It's a very good question and both a complex and simple answer. For me, confidence and self-esteem is the very foundation of success in higher education. I think we need confidence not just to succeed, but here, importantly, confidence to fail and not see that failing as monumental. Confidence to ask questions. Confidence to say, I don't understand this. Confidence to say, I need help. Confidence to say, I'm struggling here. Confidence to say, I think I did that well. Confidence to speak up in class. Confidence is, as I say, the bedrock of success in higher education. Now, I've had chance in this last year to reflect on my own learning journey. And um, I was, uh, without trying to sound um, overly immodest, I did exceptionally well at primary school. I I was seen as someone who was naturally gifted and and did very well. My mum 
lesser taught me to read and write before I went to school. I did less well at secondary school. And I've only really in, in my, I mean, you mentioned young man earlier, which is very kind of you. <laughs> <laughs> I am approaching my half century, but there we go. Um, I, I, I'm only really beginning to see my pattern of education as being quite similar to a lot of other black and brown boys and girls, even though it, it did have some quite distinct differences in that I went to a school that was predominantly white. But the school I went to, without me realising at the time, did nothing for my confidence. I think I did very, I think I did well in the very first terms report and that was it. And it was just a slide downwards all the way through. And I won't go into the detail of that, but I'm beginning to reflect now as an adult on, on just how, how, how much a beating my confidence took. And yet here's the thing, I was already a very confident person and I knew I had academic abilities. You know, how much more difficult is it if, if you are also struggling with things that are not diagnosed, that are not recognised, maybe they're behavioural, so maybe they're ADHD, but they're seen as trouble. Um, so I'm beginning to think, well, okay, so we have then a higher education system. And it was interesting, you said that you went, it wasn't until higher education that you you developed your, your confidence. I went into higher education almost angry at my secondary education. And I was lucky. I knew how to write. I knew how to navigate the system. It took a while. I was the first person in my family to go to, to university. So I was a first generation scholar, although we didn't have that terminology then. But now looking back and being in, in higher education, I'm taking a, diff, a slightly different viewpoint and thinking, actually, if that is the case, that in higher education, it is the place where people might be diagnosed, might find confidence, we need to do more. We need to do more than we're currently doing. That could be screening as a matter of course on entry, because I think it's true, and I haven't seen the data, I'm trying to collect the data, that, that students in higher education who are black or brown do not get their diagnosis until much later on. So the thing about confidence is we can take a diagnosis one way or another. Some people might find a diagnosis problematic. Other people might be, oh, thank God. I know what's going on. The diagnosis on its own isn't sufficient. The confidence, yes, has to come from within person, but also you need a, an environment which is supportive of, of, of people with different learning styles, with specific learning differences. And that's where I think we need to do more as, as, as a sector, as an institution, as a society. Uh, we, we focus very much, I think, um, although I know that the experts in the field have taken that further, but I still think there's a, a very much a kind of medical view of things like dys dyslexia and specific learning differences. And, and for that matter, disability, full stop. And we need to be thinking about the difference between the impairment that somebody might have and the things that disable them in their surroundings. So... Confidence, yes, must be self-generated, but it needs care, it needs attention, it needs support, 
and I go back to the other thing, the most important thing about confidence and self-esteem is to is to be able to fail at something and go, okay, that's fine. That didn't go so well. Yeah. It hasn't knocked yeah. everything out of the park. That is so amazing. That's really, I mean, you put it so nicely and it's, it's great the way you were putting all those examples as in terms of the confidence to, to even fail and pick yourself up again. Well, uh, you see, this is the thing is that, and the reason I talk about failure mm. as much as I talk about success is because I think we, we need, and again, I'm focusing very much on the higher education <laughs> sector because that's what I work in. And I think we also need to focus on learning how to learn. And that's something that we focus very much on in the foundation year, giving people the tools, not just assuming that someone's got their A-levels, got their BTEC, arrive at university, and then know what to do. Because this is just patently not the case necessarily. So we need to have supportive structures in place that help those students. And by the way, I don't just talk about students who are... um, who have specific learning differences. I know, I don't have empirical evidence, but I feel that my teaching has become better for all students because I've been focused on students with specific learning differences. If I can focus on those students and ensure that my materials are inclusive, then that's helpful for all students. Absolutely. Absolutely. So the Yes, we need targeted to support for our students with specific learning differences, with dyslexia, with ADHD, but we need to start from a very different position. And that position should be, why are we having barriers to learning from any of our students? What is it that we're doing that that prevents our students from achieving the self-esteem and confidence? And you know what, That, that comes down in many ways to things like the feedback that we give to students, the way in which we give that feedback, whether or not that feedback is focusing on the positives or just the negatives, whether or not that feedback is granular and detailed, whether or not that feedback is is harmful to someone's progress. All of these things, I think, are, are, you know, key uh, in, in terms of supporting our students. Because you know the thing is, confidence can take a long time to build up, but it can take that to knock down. Exactly. And of course, I mean, on the subject of confidence, you and I know that confidence and self-esteem is not equally the same, is it? You know, so you might have the confidence to do something, but you have the self-esteem to be able to believe in yourself to actually complete that task. I mean, I wondered if you could talk a little bit about the differences in the two um, so that our dyslexic listeners would get a clearer picture. I suppose I could talk about myself. Yeah, go I mean, ahead. Go I, ahead. I, I, I think I have a lot of confidence mm-hmm. um, and always have. Self-esteem has taken a lot longer to build. Um, I, you know, I, I can say that it's only really now that I, I don't, you know, I, I'm, I'm guilty so many times of phoning friends up and saying, is this work going to be good enough? Do you think they're asking for reassurance all the time? They must be bored bored sick of me asking for reassurance you see there's this thing which i think is a myth and we talk about imposter syndrome Mm -hmm. i I don't like this phrase because i think that's that's looking at the wrong way around i suffered from imposter syndrome i arrived at university to teach and i thought who am i to teach you know i've got a position at university (laughs) uh 
you know, big me. And I felt like I was an imposter. No, no, I was not an imposter. The situation was the environment in which I worked in made me feel other. So I am one of very few um, black academics in my school and university. I won, when I was at when I did my master's degree at um, London School of Economics and worked in think tanks afterwards, I was one of very few who didn't go to private school. Mm -hmm. That doesn't make me an imposter. It's the society around that says, "Oh, you're different in some respects." Yeah, yeah. So I think the the two the two concepts are obviously intertwined. But I can only say for me, I had confidence way before I had self-esteem. Right. And I think that actually I'm, I'm probably in the same, thinking along the same way, actually, because I'm quite confident in myself. But then when it comes to certain things and then mm. my, my self-esteem just goes lower and lower and lower. So even for me, I do understand where you're kind of coming from. But mm -hmm. I then have to think, well, actually, I'm just going to be honest and say I am struggling with that. And, and, yeah. and get the help that I need. And 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 here's the thing, and this is what I this is why, you know, I, I always say to all of my students, there's no such thing as a stupid question. Mm. And I give them an example of something where I was in a meeting um with colleagues of mine and we were talking about reflect reflective writing, which I think is really important for students with dyslexia. And I can come on to that in a second if you wish. But we were talking about reflective writing and there was there was a, a, a diagram that we were looking at and we've been working with this tool for a couple of years. And I remember not really understanding the differences in how analysis and evaluation were being used in this tool. And I was getting more and more stressed in this meeting with my colleagues. And I just said to, to the colleague of mine, I said, David, I'm really sorry, but I just don't understand the difference between those two things. And you know what happened? The whole of the room had this <gasps> for that. <laughs> Everyone else was thinking the same thing. Yeah. And sometimes you have to just stick your head up and go, sorry, I don't get it. Mm. I don't understand that. But here's the thing: you need a cis, you need an environment which isn't going to therefore mark you out as, as being in some way deficient. And that's that's the other thing I think is really important when you're talking about self-esteem and confidence, and particularly with dyslexia and other co-occurring difficulties, yeah. is to not to start from a deficit, mm -hmm. not to start from a deficit approach. Not what, what can that student not do, but what can that student do Absolutely. and build up slowly from there. And in my teaching of, of university students, but also in my teaching, I do some private tuition as well. That's what I do. I start working, okay, fine, you can't do that right now, we'll get to that. Okay, so spelling is an issue, fine, we'll get to that. What is it you can do? Let's build up this, let's build and build and build from the things that you can do, and then we'll tackle those things. We don't yeah. need to worry about them right now. Step-by-step yeah. -step approach, goal-orientated, thinking about you know what I, what I would refer to as achievable, proximal, so close goals. Not trying to shoot for the moon straight away, but let's break Absolutely. this down. Wow, that's so fantastically, the way you've put it is just so amazing. So what should we be doing to encourage um, BAME community or BAME students who are struggling with dyslexia, specific learning difficulties, and how they can boost their confidence in a learning environment? Well, the first thing is we need to know more. <laughs> I mean, I, I work at university. You would expect me to say that everything I want to do is needs to be evidence-based. Um, and we simply do not know 
enough about the BAME community and and those who are dyslexic. We've talked about this before, Elizabeth, haven't we? When I think when we first met, I when I was I was I was undertaking some courses, level four, level five courses on dyslexia and specific learning differences. And I I was kind of shocked by how little the issues of ethnicity, race, racism was in the literature that I was looking at. And as as you know, I I, I did a did a full-scale search on various university libraries, including my own, and only came up with one or two articles in that one book by Hoyles and Hoyles. So the difficult answer is we, we know there is, is, is an issue, but, you know, in order to be able to effectively do anything on that, we need that data. We need the numbers. We need the hard evidence. So one of the things that I'm hoping to do in this coming year, I've started to, to have discussions with our planning department on our foundation year, and I'm just focusing on foundation year students because that's the cohort that I know, is I want to see what happens to our students with specific learning differences who are from BAME communities and to see, first of all, what is their progress? What do they... What, is, what, it, what happens in terms of outcomes, in terms of the, the actual uh, degrees that they get at the end? What happens in terms of progression on? What, what type of careers do they go into? How many of them go into, further, into postgraduate education and, you know, end up teaching within the university sector or other sec similar sectors? Also, what happens to attrition? How many students are dropping out? I have my suspicions. And I have my anecdotal evidence that it's huge, but I need to see that evidence. And I'm going to be working with a couple of people from our psychology department to try and unpick that data. And, and hopefully when we have, in my own institution, real evidence, numerical evidence of a problem, then we can start to make, make interventions. Until we have that, um, we, we're not going to be able to make those interventions because you need... You need kind of institutional back backing. You need to be able to say, here, I've identified a problem. Now we need to go fix it. So it, it, I don't mean to dodge your question, but the first thing is we need that data. Mm. We need to have more than one book on race and dyslexia. We need, yes. we need more people talking mm -hmm. about it, more people involved in it. I think there, there are valid historical reasons as to why many of the people who are involved in in dyslexia and education will be from white middle-class backgrounds. Um, they will have been the people years ago with the social capital to be able to say, hey, there's a problem here. You need to do something to help my child. Mm -hmm. um, so I think, I think that's the first thing. We need the data. Secondly, um, and this is my plea to other parts of the education sector, we can't leave it to university. We can't, we can't leave it until, I mean, I would like to see um, screening as a matter of course at my institution. But, you know, that's only going to capture a small number of students or people, I should say. Um, this, in many ways, I think your question is probably better directed at someone in secondary education because that's 
where I think, and you know, again, I don't want to criticize my colleagues in secondary education who have a really tough job, but you know, that's where that's where it's really got to be picked up because as you know, if you have an undiagnosed um, disability and that is manifest in some other way, that might be manifest in anxiety, that might be seen as behavior, that might be seen as laziness, that might be seen on that scare quote word attitude, and might be misunderstood by the educators themselves for a variety of ethno-cultural reasons. Um, that, that's, that's where it's got to happen. That's where the intervention has got to happen. I, I, I'm not um, sufficiently versed on the subject of whether there are particular issues of stigmatization within different communities. Um, I, I know that there are differing views of that and, and there are views that say that it's an issue of greater stigmatism um, within black and Asian communities than it is in white communities. Um, what I see is that it's stigmatized all round. Um, and I wonder whether uh, a focus on just saying it's a stigma in that community could almost lead to us saying, okay, then we won't do anything about it. So I wish I could answer your question more fully. My first, my first thought, thought though is we, 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 need, we need more people researching on this. And I think from the conversations that I've had with other um, colleagues in other institutions, I think there's a real thirst for that. It cannot be the case that there's just going to be, I mean, I know that there are colleagues who are working on other, on other work as well, but you know, the fact that you, you and me both have said it's only hoyles and hoyles so far that's not good enough absolutely thank you so much um gavin you you answered that perfectly to be honest with you now just a couple of tips for our listeners about self-esteem and confidence with dyslexia what can we do to boost up our confidence what are some of the tips that you leave us with well let me start with teachers um I mean, I, I'm a strong advocate in what we call flipped learning. Yeah. So giving your materials in advance and then discussing the materials afterwards. I see no reason to kind of hide the materials and then the students come into the class and there's a big reveal. That's difficult for students who've got issues with working memory. How are you supposed to digest the information and then respond to it if actually the information is overwhelming? So I think the first thing for teachers is to rethink how they disseminate their information. Uh, and, and providing materials in advance is an absolute must in my, in my view. Also making sure that the activities that you do are almost um, predictable in their sequencing so that students don't get confused by the organizational aspects of the, of the learning that, that they do. In, and another thing for teachers, instructions. Please, please, please be clear and concise with your instructions. You know, it's one thing to give instructions in a one-to-one -one setting, but for the dyslexic student in a class with all of the other things going on, which might 
um, impact on their ability to filter information, impact on their ability to decide what's important and what's not important, impact on their ability to retain that information. We need clarity in our instructions. And I've, I'm guilty of it myself sometimes, having given instructions which, which are, are slightly confusing and not having given enough time for students to have digested and thought about what they're supposed to do. I'd also say, I've mentioned it before, to, um, to avoid a deficit approach and to, to give space for what I call reflective writing. So students, um, we, particularly, well, all students, and again, I say this is not something specific just for dyslexic students, but you focus on dyslexic students, you focus on everybody. And I think encouraging reflection in your work. Okay, so what did I do last time? How did that go well? How can I ensure that I replicate that? Oh, okay, that didn't go so well. Why did it not go well? What was it about that? Was it my timekeeping? Was it my organization? Was it the fact that I didn't take notes? What was it that didn't go well last time? How can I ensure that I learn from that in the future? And doing some reflective writing is really, or you can just do reflective speaking, I guess, into, into an, an audio device is really important for that. It really helps. Um, that I think, I mean, the speaking aspect would be another tip I would say, um, learning through verbalizing. So um, this, this idea of verbalizing what you are understanding can help with semantic, instrumental, relational knowledge. So for example, if you have a class of students and you are the teacher and you realize that about a third of that class have understood the idea, why are you continuing to teach it? Give that third of the class the ability to teach that to the other two thirds. That will help the people who've already understood it because they're verbalizing it again. It will lessen the pressure for the students who haven't quite got it. And it helps with learner autonomy. I mean, this is what we do as teaching, repetition. I'm a better teacher for having been a, having been a teacher several times, so repetition. So I would say learning through verbalizing. Um, I mentioned clarification of instructions and that I think is help, helpful with working memory. Um, I think, again, I, I really believe this, you know, think about the length of tasks. You know, some tasks that we, we give our students are simply too long, too onerous. Um, people with attention deficit, um, I don't like the word disorder, but let's just use that, will we'll, we'll zone out. People who have difficulties with working memory will be able to capture everything. Teach someone three things, no more than that. Um, feedback, be selective. This is for teachers, be selective with your feedback. Don't give feedback on everything. It's too overwhelming, much too overwhelming. And again, will just lead to, um, to you know, people's confidence, people's self-esteem becoming demoralized. I would say for students, um, one of the things that I would like to set up or to have students set up is uh, um, a peer-to-peer -peer support group. Um, so this will, I think, help students understand their rights, because I'm not sure everyone does understand 
their rights, help disseminate information, help recognize that, um, you know, if you have a, a group, peer support group where people are sharing their experiences, they may also be able to learn what does work and what doesn't work. So I would like, I would like more of that. I'd like more, more peer support for students and more autonomy. One other thing, if you're going to give people texts, give those texts in, in contextualized forms. So not isolated bits of text, which don't seem to link together. Um, importance of note-taking and training and teaching note-taking. So, you know, whether that's color coding, whether that's looking at what we call tabular notes, giving students the opportunity to try out different note-taking styles and find what works for them. Essentially, I think all students, and I can only again talk from higher education, should in their first year, not just on foundation year, be equipped with the skills to learn how to learn and to move away from an old fashioned view that, oh, you're at university now, you should be able to go off and do it. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Gavin. It's been such a pleasure having you on our podcast today, All Things Dyslexia podcast. And I want to say thank you to our funders, who is Community Fund Awards for All. Um, We're very grateful to have the funding to be able to do these podcasts and also run our workshop sessions on personal development and coaching sessions for dyslexics. Carry on doing the wonderful work you're doing, Gavin. It's so amazing and phenomenal and um, great stuff that you're doing at the university and also within the um, Black and Bain community, the amazing project that you've taken on and you're going to make a huge difference in Black and Brown people's lives. And of course, the LGBT community too. I mustn't forget that, you know, for all the great work that you do. I just want to say thank you very much to Yola, who produced our podcast and for all the great stuff that she does behind the scene. And I want to say thank you to our listeners. So we'll see you next week, same time, same place with a different topic. Thank you, everyone. Bye bye for now. The Aspire to Inspire All Things Dyslexia podcast is funded by Awards for All. It's presented by Elizabeth Tashi and produced and distributed by Salt and Pepper Productions.